Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuller, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hey, I'm Benno talking with Sumit Nat, the managing partner at the Raj Group. Sumit, welcome to Third Growth Option Podcast. Well, thank you for having me on the show, Benno. It's great to be here and I'm looking forward to speaking with you about my business. Yeah, so you are leading a, a third generation 82-year-old family business and you and you're building it for the fourth generation whether that's family or or not we'll we'll get into that but you know whenever there are three generation a business that has been started by the grandfather passed to the father now the son evolving and you 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 know just before we started the recording you said staying relevant is really key and you know that's true whether whether you're listening to this podcast in the US or one of the other 50 countries that we have listeners in you know that's just you, evolution is necessary a necessary part that's universal right but before we get into the business evolution and and how to stay relevant just tell us a little bit about the local you know describe your neighborhood a little bit the history of panipat india you love history, so try to squeeze that into one or two minutes for us. See, Panipat has got a phenomenal history. You know, three very major battles were fought in Panipat, Panipat being the frontier to the, De the Sultanate of uh, Delhi. Basically, what happened was these were the defining battles which changed the history of India. And Panipat was at the forefront because Panipat was the, the entire, all the battles took place in and around Panipat. So all the invading armies came into India and uh, the front line was always Panipat. So because uh, a lot of these invading armies did come to India and uh, a lot of artisans and uh, tradespeople came along with these armies, a lot of them settled around in these areas. And it became very nice that, you know, these sort of uh, crafts sort of started emerging in and around the locality. Also, during the... The summer months, uh, the sheep grazers used to come, they bring their cattle and sheep up north to feed them. Since Panipat was, uh, Panipat and Haryana, the location around us was very green, a lot of the herders used to come north to sort of graze their sheep and cattle. So these craftsmen and these uh, ex-soldiers which had, who had settled in these areas started buying raw material being wool. So uh, from these uh, these herders, and this became a little bit of like a trading spot. And that's how Panipat really came into existence. In 1939, my grandfather, seeing the opportunity of raw materials being available in this area, decided to, uh, you know, start a spinning mill. And the purpose of the spinning mill was purely to make yarns for blankets which were then provided to uh, the Allied forces so that they could be used for prisoners of war. Obviously, this was short-lived because the war got over in 1944-45 and uh, the company had to sort of 
morph into, um, uh, you know, uh, had to have a reality check. So that's how we started spinning uh, Carpet Wool and Yarn. And that's how Raj really came into existence. So it's got a fascinating history behind it and some very fascinating people who have been part of the company for decades now. So your grandfather uh, started the business spinning yarn, and then I think it was your father dyeing the yarn, and, and you turned it into a, a rug business. That's correct. I was never meant to be in this rug business. My first passion was flying. I wanted to be a pilot. But, you know, the company at that time really needed uh, a helping hand to grow the business. And none of my brothers really were showing any interest and intent. So um, I took the easier way out, I thought. Little did I know what the truth was. But I came in and tried to help my father. I was very clear that I wanted to start a different aspect to the company and have a little sort of like a, a offshoot of the company. And my father gave me the mandate to buy the raw material from the family business and convert it into a finished product. And that's how we started making carpets. This was 1991. And I don't think we have ever looked back since then. And there were a couple of interesting challenges that you were telling me about where you had one situation, I think, in the 1990s, after you sort of took over the helm, where you lost 50% of your revenues in one year, right? Uh, with, um, I guess, your number one customer. Talk about that a little bit. You know, business, as I said, you know, it changes every day. Unfortunately, you have to change with, change with it every day. And the problem is you, you should never be satisfied with the situation that you're in because you never know what happens the next day as far as business is concerned. It's pretty much true about life as well, but you always have to be prepared. And I think, you know, we got a little complacent. You know, we had two beautiful clients, one in Europe and one in America. And we decided that this was good enough for us because there was very good growth with them. We were growing at around 15 to 20% every year which is uh, healthy for a company. And then what happened uh, in the first financial crisis of the 90s, we saw that one of our big uh, uh, customers in Europe had to fold their business. Um, and all of a sudden, we were, you know, we had lost 20, I mean, 50% of our turnover. And uh, we was, you know, really trying to make ends meet and to keep the business uh, above board. It was a situation that I never really wanted to be in again. And that's what really changed my outlook towards business. And I decided that, you know, if you really want to run your factories at 100%, you need to sell 150%. So that's the reason why we today have over 250 clients globally in 70 countries. So I can't say we are recession proof. But we are definitely shielding the company from a recession in a particular area and sort of concentrating on multiple products rather than one product line so that we keep the company relevant. We've always that talked was, about that. It's a, an amazing image, actually, of you know being very successful, growing really well with a very small number of customers and everything is going so great that you're sort of, you know, you think you're a genius. Happened to all of us. And then... All of a sudden, the wheels come off the bus and you're like, oh, man, I'm never going to be caught with just, you know, customer concentration where one customer goes away, I lose 50% of my business. So you, you learned how to do marketing and branding and distribution in a way you hadn't before. 
And then the same with product, you know, you keep evolving that and you're, you know, I, I think if you became successful as a rug company, you sort of think about, well, I'm a rug company the way the railroads thought they were a railroad company instead of a transportation company, right? How are you evolving your product to sort of be, to be relevant today? How, how are you? Well, I think, I think your product needs to evolve on a day-to-day basis. Today, the rug yeah. industry actually has become a part of the fashion industry. Who would have thought that, you know, rugs could be something that could be directly related to fashion? Rugs were something that you inherited from your grandparents and you sort of, you know, it was, uh, it was a centerpiece that was talked about. But today, rugs are part of fashion. You change uh, product every season. You want newness. And, you know, with brands like H&M, Zara, fast fashion has become a part of our life. So the idea is to constantly grow as a company. And one of the reasons why we sort of constantly want to grow as a company is we always want to be, uh, as far as product ranges are concerned, we want to make sure the product is always in taste what, with what is going on in the market at that moment. So, yes. Definitely, the product needs to change constantly. And that is why design and uh, constant involvement with R&D is very, very important in the company. So you mentioned fashion having become a part of, of the rug business in a way that it was not, you know, decades ago. Now, sustainability and recyclability, you know, the, the whole eco-friendly thought process is is very much on consumers minds how does that affect your business how, do, how does that change the way your product evolves i think sustainability pretty much and you know all the natural resources around us uh, they are they're depleting on a day-to-day basis and you know we have to be conscious as a company to to make sure that we are not sort of causing more damage to earth and uh, you know we are in tune with what our customers want. And sustainability probably is the most important uh, aspect of business today. So Raj, pretty much our entire philosophy revolves around sustainability. We have uh, social sustainability as far as uh, compliances go. We have environmental sustainability uh, because we truly believe in clean energies. You know, five of our factories today are converted to 100% solar. We have a a water sustainability because, you know, by the end of this year, all our dyeing is going to have a zero liquid discharge. So these are massive infrastructure, you know, investments that we have made in the company so that for the foreseeable future, Raj can continue producing product that is in line to the demand of what our consumers want. And as far as raw materials are concerned, Raj was the first company to be, um, you know, to introduce uh, GRS certified, which is global recycling standard certified wool to the home industry. We have um, GRS certified PET, which is polyester. And today we also have GRS certified cotton. So we basically have really upped the game to make sure that the raw material availability is also there for the foreseeable future so that you can recycle the material and make sure we repurpose the material that we are actually working with. So we are giving life to a product that has already been used before and we can use it again and again. You know, 
I've been in product development, you know, different ways throughout my career. And 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 I remember being in India in 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 the nineties and early two thousands as a merchant or or with clients that were developing products. And you know, back then we were so preoccupied with just having the right look, the right fashion trend aspect and then the right price that sustainability we, we didn't have headspace back in those days to also worry about you know sustainability and and the effect of what we were doing on the environment and on, on people what you're describing are initiatives that took a lot of time and resources and money to put into place was that you driving it, or did you hire people to focus on those things, or how, how did that come about? So this journey basically began with, you know, working with clients with a very futuristic outlook towards the business, on talking to people within the industry who are pretty much market leaders, and learning from their experiences. We pretty much understood at the right time that to have a product that is going to resonate with the clientele of today. And, uh, you know, obviously the demands of the clients are always going to continuously change. But I saw pretty much around 15 years ago, there was a market out there for recycling. There was a market out there where we could reuse the materials that uh, were sort of repurposed materials that was used in some other areas, um, you know, for for example, apparel. The simple chindi rug has always existed in India and it was completely recycled, but no one marketed, marketed it as recycled because in those days, recycling was looked down upon. You know, it was something that, you know, it was used, but the buzzword changed with the same changing times. Today, people are not looking at sort of buying a virgin uh, cotton or virgin wool, people are a lot more enamored by materials which are, you know, repurposed. So I think we saw that opportunity and we were lucky to sort of, you know, get some demand in those areas. And that sort of, you know, raised my curiosity. And a good businessman always follows uh, their instincts. And I mean, frankly speaking, we got lucky there. And, uh, you know, it just led from one, one step to another to a point where we decided that not just let's not just look towards uh, sustainability in product but let's also look up uh, look at uh, something which is you know socially sustainable so we started uh, we became the first company in the world for housewares for homewares that actually became fair trade certified and that's when the journey really took its legs to another level because that opened so many doors you know, people hadn't seen fair trade in carpet making before. So that really opened doors and we saw so much more potential to grow in, into sustainable areas that we just sort of took it on, took it on upon us as, as a mantra for Raj. And today we are pretty much 10 years ahead of the industry and we continue to grow in these areas. What's going through my mind as I'm listening to you describe how you have evolved the product and how you address sustainability and being eco-friendly and recyclability and and how you're taking it into the social arena as well what what the the, the image that's going through my mind is Sumit you are a guy who has his ears to the ground and you're listening to your customer 
even when they're talking about things that are not going to, you know, sort of positively impact your your profit and loss statement this month, right? But you're saying, huh, there's something there. Maybe we should do something that the customer is asking for, and it, it might not pay off until a year from now or five years from now. Yes, wow. that's absolutely correct. A- because, you know, today my outlook is that if there is something new, until and unless it is tried, you will never know whether it's going to be helpful or not. The reason why it exists is because someone down the chain, the food chain sees benefit there. And that's where, you know, you have to put, as you said, you have to keep your ears on the ground. You have to chase things and learn things that you are not aware of. That is what good business is all about. And, you know, anything new that exists in apparel, I keep a very, very close watch on the apparel industry because I feel there are some very cutting-edge companies out there who've tried a lot of things, who have sort of made them work. And we always try and learn from the apparel industry and try and imbibe the good practices of the apparel industry into our industry. And we've learned a lot and we've moved ahead a lot because of that. There is a, a former boss of mine used the term, I want to get into the bloodstream of my customer. And what he meant by that is whatever crazy ideas that the customer was talking about, uh, instead of fighting against it, he would try to figure out how to do it for them, do it better than than the customer could do it themselves. And and you're kind of taking that same attitude, whether it's you know learning from your customer or learning from competitors or another industry, like uh, and you know you're looking at apparel as you know maybe being a little bit ahead of the curve uh, from the home furnishings business. Tell me a little bit about how you're evolving and your organization. So your third generation preparing for the fourth generation, which might be family members, might not be family members. How are you approaching the evolution from a people and people management perspective? Well, if you look at businesses today and especially old businesses like ours, it's all about not just the product, it's also about the people. And I think, uh, you know, Raj as a brand needs to be more than just family. It has to go beyond that. The last uh, two decades have been all slow steps towards professionalizing the organization to a level where hopefully one day very soon, we will be able to give ESOPs to, um, uh, you know, front runners within the organization so that, you know, we have a longevity plan in, in the business. You know, I've got a good, uh, you know, 10, 15 years where I can work hard and, uh, you know, stay at the helm of the company. But I have to always think about preparing the next uh, chain of command. And uh, we have some very, very smart people in the company And the only way we can retain them is by giving them some sort of like a belonging within Raj. So I do have, I do see my son uh, showing keen interest on coming on board, but it is pretty much given in writing that he will not come in as, as a boss. He will have to work his way up the food chain and we will have to see what his intents are for the company, where he wants to take the company and how he can actually follow orders from the people who have been in the part, have been a part of the company for so many years. So we have a new CEO. I'm very proud that it's a woman. 
She has been a part of uh, Raj for the last 10 years. She started off by, you know, assisting me, learned it uh, all, all along. I've sort of hopefully have tried to mentor her in a, in a way where she is, uh, I mean, she's doing a phenomenal job today. Uh, leading the company. We've got some great merchandisers who are, you know, who literally came in and learned their way through the company. I mean, through the years in, in the company. So I feel that, you know, we've got very, very good uh, people on board. Now we have to just prepare that Raj lives on much beyond the family. What if we have a generation that does not want to take it on? We are responsible for 6,000 people who work for Raj and their lives and their livelihoods should never be compromised. So this is my view. I hope I am right. I hope that we are able to sort of keep uh, this company and its people pretty much in the forefront of the home furnishing business. And uh, with the intent that we have, we probably will manage to do that. Did you say that you're offering or transforming ownership into an ESOP uh, employee stock ownership plan? I think that's what it stands for. Did that already take place or is that in the planning stages? Yeah, it's in the planning stages. It's definitely, you know, to make changes like this within a, a company that is family run, family owned, these things take time. It's a mindset Absolutely. change. But, you know, I'm trying to change the mindset yeah. slowly yeah. and hopefully one day we will get it there. Just the fact that you're saying to your son or one of your sons that is he an only son or do you have multiple yeah. I've got uh, two boys. One is uh, probably going into the line of medicine. So I don't think he wants to really come in. I've got a niece who's very interested. But, you know, these are, they are 17, 18 year olds. They can show intent, but until and unless they show some real work on the ground, we'll never know. We right. have to keep their interest levels up. We always should welcome them with right. open arm, but they cannot walking into the company being an owner. That's one thing very clear in the company. I love that because I, I, I think you're, you're sort of uh, creating an, a level fighting field for everybody, right? Everybody on your team, whether they, have you, whether they have your last name or not. Doesn't matter. The last name is not important. The history, the lineage, the legacy, that is what is important. I think the legacy of the company should live on. It is the philosophy that the company was born in should live on. The people of the company should really benefit from all the work that has been done over the over the decades. I know you love to fly, so I'm I'm asking: Are you are you still flying? Do you have time to fly? Unfortunately, all those uh, lovely uh, you know hobbies of mine had to take a back seat because you know I spent pretty much the you know the the twenties and the thirties building this company. Uh, 9-11 happened. That made it so much more difficult for me to sort of, you know, just do recreational flying. Uh, so I had to put it on the back burner. But I don't ever say no to anything. And I don't think it's forever. We will definitely find time for all the things that we love at the right time in our lives. Just now, the pure concentration is to grow this company into something which is really relevant for tomorrow and really sort of... Uh, something that people look up to. It's a long way to go, but I truly believe in baby yeah. steps. And we started taking those baby steps pretty much a uh, few decades ago. So I'm pretty happy with the way we are headed. But, you know, yeah. who knows what tomorrow has in store for us. What advice would you give to 
entrepreneurs that are not a third-generation business with 6,000 workers, but just for entrepreneurs in general, what, what kind of parting words of wisdom would you give them on this? Yeah, the only thing I can tell my fellow entrepreneurs is to keep their head upon their shoulder. Success is, you know, very heady. The minute uh, money starts rolling in, you know, you probably pretty much feel that you're, you know, you're the God's gift of your God's gift to mankind. And that's sometimes, you know, little sort of roadblocks along the way are sort of humbling ways of telling you there's a lot more to learn. I would just say that stay nimble, stay humble, and take every day as a point where you learn something. Your trade will teach you everything, but it'll teach you something new every day. So that's what I say that keep learning, keep working, and never give up. That would be my sort of advice to my fellow entrepreneurs. And I truly believe that, you know, the next generation in this line has uh, their work cut out for them because I just feel that, you know, this is, uh, we are fighting a losing battle with handmade products. I just hope that we can keep this relevant. So every day we just fight on and we fight on and on and on. It never stops. I agree. Sumit, thank you so much for taking the time to share a little bit about the neighborhood you live in, the history of your company, how you've managed to help keep evolving it, staying relevant, and uh, you know, also congratulations on your success. The Raj Group is a formidable uh, group, uh, business. If folks wanted to reach out to you one-on-one, where might they find you? Just on, on LinkedIn or, is, or in a website or email address? LinkedIn is a great place. I'm not very good with social media, but LinkedIn is definitely uh, a good place okay. to connect. We can always do a question and answer session, session like we've done today. I'm happy to sort of, you know, answer anyone's questions. They can always reach out to me. We can share my personal email ID with people or my official email ID, and I would be happy to answer any questions. Terrific. Thank you for coming on the Third Growth Option podcast today. Well, it's a pleasure's mine, uh, Benno. Thank you for taking the time out. Look forward to uh, speaking to you soon again. Take care. Hey, and if uh, folks wanted to explore other growth topics, you can find me on our website, realignforresults.com, or just email Benno, B-E-N-N-O, at realignforresults.com. Thanks for listening, and keep growing. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.